what was supposed to be a 10-minute overview of how demonetization created a slowdown of domestic demand for the Indian economy in financial year 2017-18 ended up being a one-hour conversation where Dr. Amol Agarwal and I took a deep dive into some features of the exercise that one commonly doesn't hear about. We intend to wrap up the nationalization of the Indian economy series in the following episode where we talk about the goods and services tax the second big reform initiated by the Modi government and then discuss our expectations for the Indian budget in financial year 2020-21 let's join it coming to demonetization i think uh demonetization is easily india's after bank nationalization one of those big 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 spots in indian banking monetary history uh, because uh, if if you generally look around uh, the reasons for demonetization the original objectives which was to do with counterfeit of currency black money and uh, you know some some more uh, things uh, which uh, the prime minister had announced some of those reasons as we discussed last time to the rbi folks even in the 46 and 78 demonetizations but apparently at that time rbi governor in 46 was cd deshmukh and in 78 ig patel both of them had refused to really do demonetization right so now the question is how was demonetization done at that time so at that time they did it without the rbi in picture so they basically go went through the ordinance route so in that sense uh, the demonetization of 2016 is kind of different because here the rbi's central board basically allowed the demonetization to happen so the rbi act and this is where again laws and uh, monetary laws really matter mm-hmm. in the rbi act uh, section 26 it clearly says that the central board uh, can advise the government to declare you know certain series of notes as not legal tender right this laws so far has not been used and i think the british basically got this largely to check counterfeiting and uh, uh, it was uh, from it was used in the demonetization 2016 where suddenly we realized that the rbi board has agreed to demonetize uh, the 500000 rupee notes and i think some bit of background here is important and some bit of understanding here is important because so far the 46 and 78 didn't involve the rbi so you could the government is obviously very uh, has all the powers to demonetize notes but to get rbi into 2016 is kind of very odd because let's look at who are the decision makers here uh, so in rbi typically has 21 board members uh, out of those 21 board members you have one governor the governors that is five which is so called executive members uh, who are responsible for day to day activity and then you have the 16 members who are nominated by government from various facets so within the 16 you have the composition is like this that you have 10 direct 10 directors or uh, 10 members who are basically people who come from all walks of life so you will have you know economists you will have people in from ngo sector you will have uh, industrialists so right from ratan tata to narayan murthy to azim premji and aditya birla all of them have pretty much served on the rbi board at one point of time And okay that's before, interesting i actually didn't know that uh, i just assumed this, that 
the the structure was as similar as the Federal Reserve of the United States. Well, that's very. Uh, we have a very different structure. In fact, yeah. there is some component of Federal Reserve. We'll just just come to that. So in this, uh, uh, so you have 10, 10, 10 of these. Then you have two nominees, uh, two finance ministry officials. So that is twelve, and then you have four people. So what what typically happened after independence is, uh, and just a small detour that before independence, RBI was a shareholder bank. I mean, there were private shareholders. So you, at that time, you had all these private registers. I mean, you had these shareholder registers where the shareholders, whoever bought and sold those share, those uh, things were, the, the share ownership was registered in those registers. And those registers were, you know, based in these four, five locations, Bombay, Delhi, Madras, Calcutta, and Burma also, as I recollect. And after independence... That sounds similar to the US system. Yes. So after the RBI was nationalized in 1949, you did away with the with those registers, but you you went ahead with something called the local offices. So you had four regional, you know, north, east, west, south. You had these four local boards. All these four local boards had five members each, and these five members would they would nominate one member each from from their respective boards to the central board. So there were four local boards: north, east, west, south. Five members each, and uh, within those five members, four of them from each of the zones will basically form part of the RBI board. So that makes it. 16. So remember, four, one RBI governor, four deputy governors, 10 experts from different domains, two people from the government, the government finance ministry nominees who don't, who are basically just, they don't have any veto power or anything, just just nominees. And then you have these four northeast, west, south local boards, representatives. The idea was to bring in the local knowledge to the RBI board. And are all of these members uh, voting members or not? No, as in... Uh, I, I guess the I, I think the better question would be how are decisions taken? Like, is it this twenty-one people and there's they have to observe quorum and then there's a vote and you know those sorts of things, or it's they're mainly observers and uh, the RBI governor is. I think from the smile on your face, I think it's the latter. But go ahead. How are no, decisions? As in, uh, I think this is this is a brilliant question, and uh, uh, because this is exactly what I wanted to say that there is. Uh, no really, you know, mention of the kind of quorum required to take the kind of decisions the RBI board takes. So having said that, RBI board pretty much takes all the decisions, you know, under the sun, right from, uh, you know, looking at how RBI is run to doing some of these things, including demonetization. So some of the very big things like, for instance, if the notes have to come in, if the new notes have to be, have to come in, uh, if uh, you have to do away with the older notes, likewise, uh, all the reports, the supervision reports, the regulatory reports, whatever, and the annual report of the RBI is basically presented by the board. Okay. Uh, obviously, uh, the RBI governor is supposed to be the chair of the board, but even here, there is no, the act doesn't say the uh, the governor is the chair of the board. It's all kind of in gray areas. I mean, there is nowhere in the act which says that the chairperson of the board is RBI governor it's assumed. And most board members allow the RBI board to RBI governor to chair the board. Yeah, so that makes the structure slightly more confusing. And, you know, I'll tell you why that is important as we move on. So coming back to demonetization and this quorum issue, now the act doesn't specify that how many board members do you need to really, you know, uh, and so far it's been done in the right light. I mean, right spirit, we've nobody's, uh, you know, as a sort of a, as a way to push certain of certain things. And having said that, in fact, RBI board, uh, there was a famous resignation of uh, uh, B.R. Uh, Benegal Rama Rao, uh, who resigned in 1958. 
and uh, when he resigned because he was under pressure from the government the rbi board members had actually had actually protested against the res- against the resignation and they all wanted to resign as well or they they had sent a sent a letter to the prime minister and stuff like that or they had uh, made their message clear to the prime minister prime minister nehru and obviously nehru was not very happy with all i'm saying is that so far the it was a lot of these things were in the in the gray but you you let the best judgment take over saying that okay you need so many people and stuff like that and uh, the rbi governor is going to chair the board now when it comes to demonetization it's kind of very odd and as i say this all these board members have a uh, they're given a period uh, of about of five years i mean you you're supposed to be in the board for five, four to five years i'm forgetting the exact tenure so about four to five years and then you could be renewed your tenure could be renewed and all that so what was going on is since about 2013 or 14 the board memberships they began to not be renewed which means that gradually you ended up having a very empty board so on the eve of demonetization you basically just had 10 board members which are appointed on the board uh, the 11 positions were vacant within the 10 wow. f- from the rti we now know that just eight board members are present within the eight uh, you have one governor two deputy governors at that time there were just three deputy governors and one of them was not even there for this meeting i mean a decision was basically done with very very shallow board participation and since the act doesn't mention any quorum or any sort of minimum uh, number minimum percentage so you could pass a decision like this with eight members which means the governor two deputy governors you had just you know so called experts who were to be nominated you just had three nominations so 1 plus 2 3 3 plus 3 6 you had one local board member the just one out of the four and you had one uh, person from the finance ministry so uh, or two person from the finance ministry some so all you had is is eight people who were present and, uh, and do we know the names the, of these eight people uh, yeah pretty much i mean that yeah. would have been that would have come out under the rti right and yes, just yes. remind us uh, remind us again who the governor was uh, when this happened urjit patel so urjit okay. has just come in he's just been uh, he's just been appointed the governor in sorry november 8 is when you have the demonetization so basically just two months i so, remember the date because i landed in india on uh, the 10th and i was going to uh, dharmsala for a meditation retreat on the 12th so i landed i went to the atm there was no money and then my mother was like hey you need money here take some money i said aapke paas paisa kahan se aaya she's like oh no senior citizens you know the line is shorter so i get so she okay. had no issues but everyone else was quite desperate yeah so anyway uh, essentially uh, this goes back to again the previous two demonetizations where rbi governors had you know dissented against demonetization based on the similar arguments which the government at that time had given you know counterfeit black money and they were like you know these exercises don't really need lead to any uh, you know fishing of black money and you know we are the governor was not on board this time even if the rbi governor was and since he is not really chairing the board as in i mean there is no act which says it so we really don't know what really happened on that evening and why uh, so many people uh, agreed to a measure like this without really the government always says that and now we know that obviously government pushed it on the rbi but at the same time between uh, the demonetization of 2016 and the previous student demonetization differences the rbi governors at that time basically stood against it and they ensured that it is not passed with them around you know obviously government can do whatever it wants to but rbi governor was rbi people were not on board so what so, we don't have any transparency is whether there was an up down vote or not but ultimately i mean this is sounds it sounds very bizarre to me because what this is saying is that apparently there were no meeting notes 
there was no no one signed off on this i mean someone had to have signed off on this decision right i mean urjit patel would have had to sign off a piece of paper saying yes boss i agree to this or does yeah, that I mean, document not exist actually uh, under the rti several people did file this but on the basis of you know rti uh, allows you to allows the the government bodies to not disclose information based on certain con- certain things you know security th- th- oh so they basically like retracted certain pieces of yes. information okay so and uh, in fact rbi board minutes have only begun to begun to be released now as in the, the first board minutes meetings have been released from the chandigarh meeting which happened in 2020 so all this earlier board meetings and all that and see none of the board meetings really made really played the kind of decision which demonetization played so uh, obviously some uh, something come from the from the rbi on all this but we have no information about how demonetization is implemented so a uh, stupid question uh no. why do you uh, no, think there's no question as stupid yeah okay <laughs> no this is whenever i have to ask a, like a really pointed or like a tough question i say oh hang on let me be the stupid person right um why do you think the uh, modi government decided to pursue demonetization uh i wish i knew but uh obviously there is so uh, for example do you think uh, it was akin to indira gandhi's power move saying hey look i'm going to like stamp my authority on the economy and the one way to do it is you know this big thing that's going to affect everyone or do you think no, it was that, that Sorry, obviously uh, you know you you just lost the bihar elections and uh, there there was a sense that maybe the 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 regi- the government is losing its uh, control and the prime minister is losing his control and he wanted some kind of a decision which shakes up everybody and and stuff like that but look nationalization bank nationalization affected the bank owners but it didn't really penalize people as in this is something which you saw for next 2 3 months complete chaos despite whatever rbi people would have put over, uh, basically was trying to do a cover up job saying that we prepared well and this that look uh, the number of rules which changed in that one month regarding cash withdrawal and stuff like that even something like a wedding season coming in and people needing uh, cash payments uh, in several uh, rural parts and you had to go with a wedding card i mean to get cash all that was obviously not planned at all uh, some of those things went that that completely tells you how hopeless the planning was i mean if i can use that word uh, so look i completely agree with you um i'm and and for the record um i was i was somewhat bullish on the idea of demonetization but the way it was executed was just completely rubbish now the thing is you know india is very chaotic anyone who tries to do anything in india i think there's an there's an element of learning while while one does things so mm-hmm. uh, you know a certain amount of chaos is to be expected but so to your point 2000 rupee notes were introduced um and the atm machines weren't calibrated to have the new notes it was just a complete i i have strong language coming into my head but you know when certain something hits the fan so to speak and then there's just mess everywhere that's basically what it was but you mentioned that it should have been obvious uh which is the reliance of cash for day to day functioning not only mm-hmm. in cities but in everywhere right india is uh whether you call it culturally or not but we run on cash right Right. um and it should have been known for example that a lot of uh, women were had their savings 
you know, it's gold or it's cash. Those are the two ways in which women save uh, primarily for themselves and for children. And in right. general, that's the way Indians sort of think, right? Um, and it should have been known that a lot of people, their their savings would have been instantly wiped out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know, all these ladies that had been uh, uh, saving for themselves and all of that kind of, suddenly they had to go out and say, oh, look, I have this money. And all of that money was then taken away. And I'm sure a lot of, I'm sure like a lot of alcohol sales would have gone up uh, at that point in time. Um, <laughs> all the men drinking. No, it's, but the, I mean, look, that's just, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like pretend that that doesn't happen. So I agree. It was, it seemed very chaotic. It seemed almost ad hoc-ish. Having said all that, I, I find it difficult to believe that, you know, the, the government would have tried to punish its own voters, so to speak. You know what I'm trying to say? So I guess mm-hmm. the question is, was it just an incompetency in the way it was? Uh, was this Arun Jaitley just being incompetent or was this Modi Shah being something else? Though none of the economic advisors would, would uh, agree or would uh, tell us, but obviously even Arvind Subramaniam, who was the chief economic advisor, had no idea that this was coming. So this was obviously pretty, pretty much... You know, the prime minister and his very, very dear and near council, we don't know who that council was. But when you ask this question about what kind of uh, was behind demonetization, we do have some ideas because there is this thing called Earth Kranti NGO or a think tank, which had uh, given a presentation to the prime minister about demonetization. Then currently, one of the board members in RBI, S. Guru Murthy, has been writing about some of these things for a while. Now, whether the prime minister and his council took uh, those uh, things in, what what really was behind it? I don't think there was any economics, uh, as you said, about leaving that imprint on people that, look, I am the I am the boss and I can do whatever I want to. I think the kind of planning required for doing this kind of an exercise. And now we know from Raghuram Rajan's account that even he was approached uh, for demonetization and he had not agreed to it. Obviously, as he leaves in September, immediately in two months, you get this going. So obviously that planning is going on and let uh, Rajan go with without really... Because what happens here is that in, in typically RBI's uh, tenures all come with a three-year sort of a thing and then you are given two-year extension. Right. And the two-year extension mostly comes to most governors. I mean, unless you don't want it. So... Uh, and obviously, Rajan had done several things on some of these bank resolutions and, you know, he had got this asset quality review and three years is a very little time. Ideally, uh, you know, you could have seen him getting an extension, but since there was nothing really, I, I wish Rajan and some of these other guys had made more points about the board being empty. Rajan makes it just towards the end. I mean, his last or the second last speech mentions how RBI board members are not being... Uh, uh, so- do you have a sense of whether that was unprecedented? Has, has there been uh, occasions in history where the RBI board has been that scarce? I have uh, you know, looked at it from the 99 because RBI provides its annual reports from 99 onwards, which gives you some sense of the board memberships. And... Uh, Yes, there have been broadly, but never really a case where you just have 10 appointments. Okay, so it was unprecedented and obviously clearly... At least in the last 20, last, you know, whatever, since 99, whatever we know. And I don't think, uh, maybe Indira Gandhi's time, uh, you could have seen some of these things. uh, But I don't really see any other time where you could see so many board seats being empty. Right. 
Um, and so, and very quickly, you mentioned Earth Kranti, and uh, and yeah. we know that um, uh, the the Prime Minister is a big fan of PowerPoint and PowerPoint presentations. Do you have a sense mm. of what was in that presentation? What was Earth Kranti? What are they no. trying to say? Yeah, so the Earth Kranti thing was uh, now what is what was there in the presentation? We don't know. And there have been all these suggestions which have been going on. See, the 90s, 46 and 78 were basically some, you know, very little currency in circulation was at that time uh, holding a thousand rupee note or a 5,000 rupee note really meant that you were holding some, you know, black money in that. But in today's times, 500 rupee note is, and then 1,500 rupee note, part of 86% of the currency in circulation. Uh, what it led to is several things. One is obviously the slowdown in the demand. Now, uh, demonetization immediately didn't. It created all this ruckus in the banking system where the currency in circulation came into the bank deposits as people deposit more and more money for a very little gain in, I mean, for a very little killing of black money, you went, you ended up, you know, demonetizing so many, so many notes. Uh, very interesting that in, in the May board meetings, RBI was actually planning to introduce the notes of high denomination, you know, 5,000, 10,000, because there's a thinking going on that with the inflation so on and so forth, 500 rupee and 1000 rupee notes are not as effective. I mean, uh, for transaction. So all this while, despite all these discussions going on, you still thought that there is an RBI out there, which, which, which somehow will keep things in check. And for me, the biggest disappointment behind all this demonetization and whatever is gone in is this very silent role uh, RBI has played in all this. Uh, you don't really keep institutions. I mean, you need institutions exactly during these hours. I mean, where you know, somebody just steps in and says that, look, this is just not done. You have this entire board which says, or at least some board members you know, stand up and say, look, you cannot just do this. If you want to do this, we are not signing up. Something like that. I mean, um, and, and uh, so uh, one, and we're going to, I think we should move on, but I have so many questions. I'm just going to ask you right. one last question. Um, I was speaking to a, quite a senior bank official and one of the things mm. that he told me was kind of interesting, which is that mm. there's a lot of these KYC type uh, regulations that, and KYC is for everyone is know your customer. Um, all of these regulations had come in. And so he mm. said, you know, regardless of the reason of why de uh, demonetization was done, but the fact that, mm. you know, the bulk of the circulating currency came back in uh, the mm. banking system actually now had digital IDs associated with all of these cash flows. If they suspected something that that could somehow be traced and, and all of that. So he, he was yet at that point in time convinced that demonetization was still a very good idea. Um, what, what do you, I mean, I understand the digital sort of uh, the digital forensics that go behind that, but mm. what, what do you make of that sort of uh, claim that that was still a good idea? No, actually, if the purpose was uh, digital currency, it was a different thing. The digital currency was something which came in very late, very late. Uh, I mean, as they right. realized to, that, you to, know. To clarify, uh, he wasn't saying, uh, and, and I wasn't saying that it was di the digital currency. What he was saying was that the cash that was deposited in the banks was then associated ah. with, you know, either a PAN number or uh, a Aadhaar number or what have you. So there was... Uh, a quote unquote a digital footprint that was associated with the with the cash yeah i mean see, it's like tracked. they yeah but look then uh, i think uh, whoever the senior banker was uh, with all due respect 
uh, this is something which which is a big fear actually if if everything can be tracked and traced uh, and uh, to me i think the biggest problem with all this digital money and payments is this much track whatever you're doing and uh, we all i mean there are several episodes from political history and stuff like that and you really don't want governments to to know what you're doing it could just backfire miserably i mean several of us could be into into a lot of trouble if if the government knows and i think one very clear reason why physical currency worked uh, successfully and for several years and so many of us accepted it is largely because it gives us anonymity at the end of the day not everybody is a thief out here not everybody is a money launderer out here but you could easily be uh, depicted as one i mean in india it's very in india and some of the several countries where you know the the law is very weak and uh, you have to prove the onus is on you to prove that look you're not a money launderer or you're not getting into any of this but the government can very clearly put you into into that kind of a thing this actually to me is more worrisome uh, because i could still i mean if you do an exercise like this uh, you should have caught at least some people who hoarding black money some big guys there is not a one big name you tell me any big name who's who's been caught with the black money kind of a thing even if you have a digital footprint uh what it uh, for you to navigate through that digital footprint of billions of people uh is not easy millions yeah, of look, people not billions. uh i i i agree uh in the sense that whether it was a self defeating uh a scenario where people they they took the i mean i know certain people who took the hit right whether it started off as like 50% i believe and then it became 30% and then 20% the penalty when they were like depositing right. the cash so i know that uh-huh. there were several people and there would have been more i'm just talking about the people that i know of i know i know there were some people who took the hit but to your point yeah, i think um there wasn't uh, a big fish or several whales that were somehow caught in the net or or what have you yeah so um, uh, again i mean let's move on yeah exactly uh, so i was just going to say that we should uh, we should move on from that uh, so the impact so, of demonetization but there's one thing though that you kind of brought in which i think is quite relevant which is uh cash transaction gives uh there's a certain amount of uh, privacy there's a certain amount of anonymity that is associated with that and i think to your point that's the kind of lubrication that's required for the uh for indian people to actually make transactions and i'm not saying so not that indian uh actually if you look at the europeans they are very very particular about these things i've been reading yes. some of the germans uh, yes yes and they are and we also discussed this right and they're very very worried about this digitization how it leads states taking control in fact the one of the best research is coming from the federal uh where uh, one of the scholars is consistently pointing out how privacy and anonymity are two very important things which the digital payment system is not resolving and for all you know it gives an enormous power to government and the central bank dictate monetary terms to us so let's come to gst i mean i think demonetization we all know uh, something which just came out of the blue but gst has been is been this so before uh, we wrap up though uh, right very okay. quickly 30 seconds demonetization what it did was how did Uh, so we we touched upon the you know it's it's the lubrication that's required to sort of for the wheels to to the the right. cogs to sort of turn what did demonetization do that sort of stalled the indian economy so to speak you know everybody was trying to you know get a sense of what's happening and uh, very quickly 
you know, this entire so-called logistics and supply chain of the Indian economy runs on cash. And once, once that cash is, is a bottleneck in every chain, then automatically it's going to affect, you know, whatever you're doing. So, you know, businesses are not able to make payments or are not able to receive money. And in that whole supply chain, uh, that entire supply chain was dis- disturbed. I mean, production kind of stalled. Uh, there were there were all kinds of SME related problems. Some of those large corporates, several of them already in, into the digital thing, uh, they were not as affected. But largely the SME, the agrarian sector where cash is both received and paid, uh, that cycle was affected. And obviously these things take time. I mean, it's not as if thinking that, okay, once the currency comes to the system, every, everything is going to be okay, but we know currency took a much longer time. Uh, some of those things were not calibrated and it takes time. I mean, once you freeze in, freezing it is easier, but you know, much harder to lubricate it and ensure that the supply of money is caught up with everybody. And right. So there's, there wasn't uh, enough slack or resilience in the system to, uh, to last that three or four months that it actually took for uh, the currency to get back into circulation. And even there, I think there were a lot of problems, uh, especially, I mean, we were, I was living in a large city, so currency was still coming in, but in the smaller ones, obviously these things take time. Uh, So smaller ones, rural areas, now you had basically, you have to ensure that trucks and trucks of currency uh, is printed and it goes. I mean, we can keep discussing this, but there were also issues with, I hate to point this, but that you have basically four machines printing units in India. Two of them are uh, held, uh, two of them are owned by the government and two of them are owned by the RBI. And not surprising, the ones where RBI was there, they were more efficient and they could get, and I think they were responsible for the 500 rupee notes or the two, either of the two. And, uh, you know, the other was responsible for the other one. And it took time for the money to come into the system. So because the government one was inefficient and it, was, it, 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 it couldn't uh, just get things going. So multiple level problems are there. And uh, obviously with any money supply issue, just like you know, RBI begins to tighten policy rates or does something with the policy rates, the lubrication of money take, take, take a while to change. Actually, so, that's an excellent framing reference on, on how to actually think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially these things would take time. And as I say this, as people are trying to recover, we come to GST. As you may have understood, demonetization is an unusual step for a central government to take. India's demonetization exercise remains contentious and the conversations around it political. However, it's clear the best way to understand why demonetization had a potential effect on the Indian economy is to view the exercise through the lens of monetary tightening. In monetary tightening, circulatory currency drops, and this has an effect of slowing down economic expansion. Stay tuned for our next episode where we briefly discuss GST and then talk about the Indian budget for financial year 2020-21. We apologize for the sound quality of this episode. Talking over the internet between San Francisco and Ahmedabad can be challenging at times. We've taken this into consideration and intend on mitigating poor sound quality moving forward. Do consider subscribing to the podcast and if you'd like us to address a particular topic in future, or tell us something we got wrong, tweet us at Mostly Economics, or for those of you who like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, at Maxi Megalon 5. Thank you for listening.